Emmanuel. You might enjoy in that. Please uh, don't be offended if I do a little chung and cheek this morning. Um, it is not the greatest playoff to run that I've ever been watching because the Dallas Cowboys aren't there. You can, you can rub that in my nose as much as you want to. But last Saturday I saw something that I don't know that I'd seen anything like, especially for the team just up the road, the Houston Texans. As Deshaun Watson, who could do absolutely nothing for nearly three quarters, three, two and a half quarters, suddenly came to life and, and, and beat a team that seemed to have every answer for the team, for their opponents, uh, for, for most of the game, until this one person said, not so. Uh, it was quite amazing. I, by the way, it, it, it was just joyful to, to have a team, kind of an adopted team, maybe not my first love, but my adopted team, to cheer for and them to keep on going. It just made the playoffs wonderful, except that there was something happened later that night that was almost as good as the Texans winning. The Patriots lost. Hallelujah. <laughs> and so <laughs> you can know a real Texans fan when you say something like that. Um, but that, his comeback only took place after a spark that came. I don't know if you noticed, if you paid close enough to the period, to the game. If it was a cowboy game, I could tell you what, down and distance and everything else. But it was sparked by a sack that J.J. Watt had that moved the Bills, kept the Bills from scoring another touchdown to go up 20, probably 20 to nothing, and made the game just 16 to nothing. Two touchdowns, and who can do the math? Two touchdowns and two two-point conversions away from being tied, which is actually what happened. Very, very rare thing for two two-point conversions to happen in the same game. What I want to tell you, and please forgive me, if there is any hope for the Texans to win today or any other game in these playoffs going forward, it is Deshaun Watson on his shoulders square, and that will be the only reason that it happens. But it's amazing how the whole rest of the team plays differently, even when the odds seem completely against them, because they know Deshaun Watson may make a miracle happen. J.J. Watt was mic'd up the whole game, let's go, let's go, let's go. And I promise you, at least part of that let's go, let's go, let's go is because there was a guy on the other side of the ball who he knew wasn't going to quit and had done it before and let's hope we'll do it again to move things forward. Where does your hope come from? What inspires you to live day in and day out? To do, in reality, miraculous, spirit-filled things because you believe in something, that there's something bigger than the present circumstances that moves you forward. Hope. Not just joy, not just a sense of wishful thinking, but a real hope that says something's going to change that's based on a promise. Let's shift gears and actually turn from things that are frivolous hopes, no matter how much they feel our time and our expectations, to things that are real. Turn with me to Romans chapter 15. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Jesus Christ. The, the basis of the book of Romans is that 
Paul is coming to, to Rome and, and he wants to see these people and he wants to encourage this church. And as much as we see it as this great treatise on what it is to have faith and, and what the grace of God can actually do, it's really about that there are two different parts of this church, the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians, and that Paul knows that they will never be what Christ wants them to be unless they come together in unity. And that can't be unity based on you do things my way or you do things my way, but unity that has to be built around their love for and their dedication to Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen and amen. Unity among yourselves as you follow Jesus Christ Jesus so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, Janet, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. Let's keep going. As it is written, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. Again, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Again, praise the Lord all you Gentiles. Sing praises to him, all you peoples. And finally, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. And from that root of Jesse, the Gentiles will hope in him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Won't you join me in prayer? Our Father and our God, we thank you for this day and thank you for the love that you've poured into it. We thank you for the way that you have made a difference in our, our lives. The way Jesus came and was that peace offering and made peace between us and you. And the way that your Holy Spirit has filled us. Filled us in a way so that we can trust in you in ways that we never have before. Filled us with your Spirit so that we can love in ways that we couldn't in our own flesh. Filled us with hope. Hope for what is and hope for what is to come. May we be your people of hope. Holy Spirit, come and fill us. Fill this time as only you can. It is in the name of your Son that we all pray together and we all say. We've all been there. You've been there. I've been there. At those funerals at those gravesides. Don't bring this up to be morbid. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. Our family has a very different approach to funerals. It's amazing. Both sides of my family, my father's side, my mother's side. And, it, and it's kind of interesting now that we've done it a few times, how the next generation sees the, the funerals of their parents, and that's who's passing away, my father's generation as this opportunity that the families get together. And while we mourn at their passing, we cannot be filled with sorrow because we recognize the lives that they lived and the love that they gave and our opportunity to love them. And more than that, it brings our family together like, like very few things do. And it's centered around the idea that Paul expresses in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that kind of spurs us and, and makes us realize we, we're not here like the rest of the world. Don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve 
like the rest of man. There's supposed to be something different about us. There is supposed to be something different, and that is called hope. Don't be like the rest of the men, or those of, of, of men who don't have an idea of what God is doing. Instead, they have no hope, and we have absolute, sure, and certain hope. It's always interesting to me, most of the time when there are funerals in this place, we'll oftentimes have kind of a pass-by where uh, people come down and they, they greet the family and they walk out. And our biggest problem during a pass-by is the fact that once they get back there, they start visiting and laughing and enjoying each other so much that the, the sound of that celebration drifts. If you don't know, it drifts over and comes down the roof and comes back in this room. But it, it maybe is disturbing at some level, but it's very powerful at another level. Because it says that we're not here for the end. We're here celebrating a new beginning. We're celebrating a life that has been pointed towards what is to come next. And that's what, those, that's what those of us who, as Paul said, fall asleep or die in the Lord have. We have a different vision. And that different vision is called hope. I'm going to do a quick survey, if you don't mind. Go to Paul, Paul in 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 13 real quick here. And now these three remain. You know many words from this chapter. This is love. And this, these are the words that it ends with. And maybe you remember these as well. These three remain. Faith, hope, and love. Ends with the phrase appropriate to put in this chapter because that's where his emphasis And the greatest of these is love. I find it interesting that hope's right there in the middle. Faith informs hope. And hope, when it decides to live out a reality that says, no, 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 no. The flesh and blood here is not the last story. The brokenness of our, our world is not the last story. And because we know that's not the last story, we're going to live the way that Jesus taught us to live, to live in love. Faith informs hope, and hope, when it starts living, produces love. In another letter, Paul brings up these, this same trio, if you were, in 1 Thessalonians. Notice the repetition, but in a slightly different order in 1 Thessalonians. We remember your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope. What I want you to notice is that this letter approaches it in a slightly different way. It isn't just the idea of faith, hope, and love, or in Thessalonians, faith, love, and hope. It is the idea that there are actions, that there is a life that is associated with faith. If we trust Jesus, we live differently. If we're going to love as Jesus has called us to love, we're going to live differently. Somebody say amen, please. And if we have a hope, a hope that comes from Jesus and is centered on Jesus, and we're going to talk about that next week. If we have the hope that God gives us through the Holy Spirit, it produces a life that is different. It looks different. It lives different. It changes the world because it doesn't see the brokenness of how things are now. 
as the ultimate end that God wants to bring them to. I don't know if you ever encounter people, and, and you don't know them, they're strangers. You haven't ever, don't know their backstory, you don't know all those kinds of things. But when you look at them, and as opposed to just seeing brokenness, instead you see potential of what they could be, and where they could go, and what might happen. The little phrase, angels unaware, we don't know when we're encountering people from God, kind of takes hold, because what we're looking for and what we see is not what is. What we see is what hope can make them. Not brokenness, but wholeness through God. It is associated with living. Mark read earlier from 1 Peter chapter 1. had this powerful statement. God has given us a new birth. Somebody say amen. If you've participated in the waters of baptism, you've been raised a new creature. It is, you have been, we talk about reborn. Something new has been made in you and of you. And something has changed. If you have been, he has given us new birth for what purpose? Into a living hope is how Peter puts it here. Peter writes that whole book to a group of people who, who kind of are towards the end of that first century. And, and, and the idea that Jesus is still coming back immediately in our lifetime, as Paul's letters seem to say over and over again, is beginning to sound a little less likely. That generation is dying, and Peter writes to him and said, Do not let go of your hope. A hope that is based on your new birth in Christ... And that needs to be the way that you live out every single day. We're beginning a new sermon series called Living Hope. You've seen it there on the cover of your uh, Caring and Sharing. Living Hope in a Wishing World. We're reopening the way that we think about the answer to questions like, what are we waiting for? What are we looking forward to? But maybe even more importantly, we're going to rethink our answers to the question of what are we going to do about it in the meantime. We're waiting for God to make all things new. Amen and amen? For that new creation, for a new heaven and earth to come about. For Jesus to return as the signal for that to begin. But between now and then... Clearly, the people who followed Jesus said, there's a way that we live that's pointing towards it. And we're going to talk about those kinds of issues. And so today, by way of application, as opposed to a, a, a set of things that maybe you can put into kind of practical action today, I want to send you out with some questions. So... How are we bringing hope to our living? How are we bringing hope to life? I want you to think about these things. What is different about the way you live that isn't just about a set of morals or a set of ethics? God, when he spoke to Moses, said, one of the ways that the people in the world are going to know who I am is because you're going to live differently. You're not going to lie. You're not going to kill. You're not going to cheat your neighbor. You're not going to lust. You're not going to commit adultery. Those kinds of things. Morals and ethics reflect who God is. 
But is there something about the way that you live that's different? And maybe the center core of it is that you have a hope that you don't just see the world and its brokenness. You see, you catch a vision of what it is to live into God's wholeness. And that changes the way we live. Number two, this is something that I hope that we'll, we'll maybe be filled in a little bit. If you had a friend who asked you a question, what is your hope or what are you hoping for? What's the end game for you? I hope that you have an answer for that. But I want to encourage you to think about, we're going to talk about how you might answer that in a way that, first of all, maybe reflects more of what the Bible has to say instead of some kind of contemporary pictures that might be out there. For instance, a contemporary picture that is very popular right now is the idea of reincarnation, that we just kind of come back in another life and we get the opportunity to do it again, some sort of different form. The Bible has some very clear things to say about what we're hoping for. But it would be helpful for you to start thinking about how you answer that question. How do you think about it? And how would you represent what God has represented in the Bible? Third, how do you experience sharing your hope, hope that is based on Jesus Christ, a hope that is based on that while the world is broken now, it will not always be broken, how do you experience sharing that hope with others around you? Yes, it may be answering that question, what is your hope? They may ask you. But I think there's more to it than that. And people are looking for that. We have a world full of wishful thinking. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but if you go to a convenience store, if you're going to stand in line for very long, there's one particular reason why you're going to stand in line. And it's, by the way, not just because you're not at a Bucky's. Forgive me. It's because people are buying lottery tickets. They're wishing their life would change. They're going to buy that ticket. What's the likelihood of that ticket coming through? Almost zero. But they're wishing. Our hope has nothing to do with the probability of almost zero. Our hope has something to do with a 100% absolute certainty. And you have the opportunity to share it. But in reality, the most basic question is not what is our hope. I bet you know the answer to this. The basic question isn't what is our hope. What's the basic question? Who is our hope? Again, I've already told you, we're going to dig a little more into that next week. But Jesus Christ is the answer to that. Can you say it? Jesus Christ is my hope. Jesus Christ is my hope. My hope is Jesus Christ, and He invites me, and He invites you, to discover how life and living is different. Not in the way that it has been broken by sin, but in the way that he wants to make it whole through his blood and his salvation and the reality that he is coming again. We start in that place in the water, a death to new life. 
But we continue that process of saying, Jesus, I want you. I want you to be Lord for all the rest of our lives. Whether it's in the waters of baptism or whether it might be, I want to be part of a a church family like this. It's pointing not towards the brokenness of the world, but pointing towards what God wants to do. Or maybe you just want to come and say, I need a little more hope. And I want this church not just to, to pray individually and the people I individually talk to, but I want to ask the whole church to pray for me to look for the hope that God wants for my life and for my